Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. What up, my friends, homies? What's up, dog? Howdy. Howdy, folks. What are y'all drinking today? I am drinking a naked blue machine juice and just cracked open a pastique LaCroix. Nice. Uh, I am drinking a mountain morning latte courtesy of City Brew. We have one here in Cody. And like, y'all are going to be like, oh, City Brew, who cares? But I care. I'm still a loyal rawhide patron, though. Shout out to small town hometown coffee shops uh mm-hmm. but city brew is conveniently right at the bottom of the hill from where i live so for those of you who didn't grow up where emily and josh and i did city brew is like montana's knockoff starbucks that is now trying to expand a lot more into other states yes but all based in montana so and i love it yeah I'm drinking that as well as a bottle of water bottle of water what a classic mm-hmm. reverend emily i have a hibiscus Lacroix tonight loving it i love this one room temperature of course this is the way this is the way this is the way i've learned this about myself our drinks today our fine beverages are provided to us by our newest member of the ravel community kimberly welcome to the club we look forward to seeing you in the discord getting to know you a little bit we I feel like we don't acknowledge enough that like we say it in the uh, in the mid roll, but like, you know, we haven't actually talked about this in a while. The podcast serves a lot for other people to know us to a big parasocial degree, but we we don't like this is the way we connect with the folks who listen to the show mm-hmm. and like really form real friendships and relationships and stuff is inside this discord and inside of the live meetings we do through the book club and Courtney started the Ravel Collective every month and like that's how we make community out of this thing. So it's very cool. Kimberly, welcome to the crew. It is my turn to bring a topic today and I thought there would be no better topic um, than to just talk about myself, (laughs) but in a very meta way because I want to talk about how we relate to ourselves and how we talk about the self and how we conceptualize the self because i think there's a lot of christian theology and philosophy and other religions theologies out there that do like the core of it is like how we relate to ourselves or hmm. how ourselves are related to other selves hmm. how, like that's the building block of community right there's a lot of different ways we could go with this i actually wanted to open with a pretty famous parable and just put it to you to see how you feel about the parable about the premise it presents and uh yeah and we'll just go from there so the parable goes as follows a grandson is sitting with his grandmother and the grandmother looks at her grandson and says inside of us there are two wolves one the good wolf represents things like kindness joy love The bad wolf represents things like hatred, greed, fear. And the grandson thinks about it for a moment and looks up at his grandmother and says, well, grandmother, which one wins? And the grandmother says, it's the one you feed. How do we feel about this parable? I'm curious. I'm going to answer your question with another example that I ran into just yesterday. I was watching TikTok, as the kids do these days. And ran across this one guy making a video, um, but he was bringing up the point that evangelical theology specifically has created this very strange 
situation when it comes to loving others in that people do tend to preach love others as you love yourself. But then most of evangelical theology is just rife with self-hatred. And so it creates this strange paradigm where people might not even... I I do think some people explicitly will preach this, but I think a lot of people it's more implicitly felt. People are being taught that you are loving people by hating others and by like Mm. preaching theology that does not make people feel loved. And he said it a lot more gracefully than I did. I think he's been thinking about it for a while. But I thought it was really... I thought it was a very astute observation that like when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, of course, that makes total sense. But bringing it back to your parable, Stephen, I think that I think you're absolutely right that theology has such an impact on how we see ourselves, whether we're like talking about like a good evil dichotomy or if we're just talking about like the way that we experience ourselves over time or in relation to community. I think it has a huge impact. I think that not to just like completely subvert your parable question, because I think it's a good question, but I, I think for me personally, and maybe this is like a good example of like my relation to self over time. I think that a couple years ago, I would have been super, super interested in having pretty close to a debate about whether we are inherently good or inherently evil or original mm-hmm. blessing versus original sin. Yeah, right. And uh, like these days, I don't feel as motivated to have that debate even though i still think it's impactful but maybe that like i'm not exactly sure how to word what in me isn't motivated to talk about that anymore Mm -hmm. so i don't know that's kind of interesting like i don't like consciously think about that a whole lot but you like saying this parable like makes me think that yeah so even in the framing of this parable right like in life there are these two wolves inside you that are always at war or in battle there's the good and the evil one and it's the one you feed that wins. You're almost like, take a step back. You're like, who told them that they were the good and the evil ones? Maybe it's just two puppies, you know? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> you're yeah. like, I'm not interested in like even accepting the premise of the good and evil part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Is Basically, that? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not that it's not valuable. I think that that's what like does it, that, that doesn't motivate me either to like, diminish the conversation Mm. either so like if we want to talk about that i'm more than happy to talk about that and focus there but like because maybe there's even like you know there's behavior right that plays out through greed or hatred versus like joy and love that right like the the conclusion of the parable still kind of holds true of like oh yeah if you uh feed the fear inside you that grows right didn't veg- Veggie Tales teach us that the little white lie can the fib can become some monster if you feed it too much? Inside you, there are two vegetables. Absolutely, yes. It- <laughs> well, th- I think that's what like makes it difficult. Is like I absolutely think that like that parable is displaying truth, right? Like of mm. of course that is a thing that the the things that you choose to foster mm-hmm. uh, grow, and I think it's poetically told and it's beautiful and. Yeah. Um, but I'm also not convinced that everything is black and white like that either. Yeah. I sure. think I would change it to life giving and life hindering. <sighs> life hindering and life giving wolves. But otherwise you like it. Yeah, because I think that just gives room for the individual like to decipher what is life giving and what is life hindering, because that's gonna be different for each person. I think there are universally things that are bad. Mm-hmm. Not life giving, like racism and xenophobia and sexism. Sure. But I think there are very individual elements that people would say, this is life giving for me. And I may not agree, but that doesn't mean that it's less life giving for them. It just is not life giving for me. Mm-hmm. So, how does this parable get you thinking about yourself and like the different either well placed or misplaced desires that manifest in? positive or negative ways or life-giving and life-hindering ways it makes me think of rupaul y'all know i love oh RuPaul. say more okay if you in every episode rupaul says if you can't love yourself how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else can i get an amen up in here and everyone says amen and then they play music and it's great but the idea of that message of if you can't love yourself and 
granted, there are things that we may not like about ourselves. Maybe we struggle with body image. Maybe we maybe we just wrestle with things from our past that we're not proud of. But we can overcome those things and see good. I think there's always good to be found within us. And that can outshine the things that maybe we find to be false or bad, if you will, Mm. within us. So if you learn to love the parts of yourself that maybe you weren't given permission to love before or that you felt weren't good enough to love. And over time, you see that it's what makes you you. If you love those things about yourself, you find that it is then easy to love people just as they are. You know, it's I find it really hard. And I think Josh was on to something definitely where there's a lot of evangelical theology that says, love others, but downright hate yourself because you're scum mm. and yet you are undeserving, but everyone else is, is so deserving. How does that make sense? Because when you're telling other, when other people are told that they don't matter, but you are to let other people know that they matter, mm. your tank is empty and you are now trying to fill someone else's tank even though you are on empty. So no one is being filled. Absolutely everyone is literally running on fumes. But oh, if we It's a it's a Ponzi scheme of grace or of It's a Ponzi scheme of <laughs> grace. Like, like think about having a gas tank. <laughs> yeah. And you're told to go fill up someone's car and you're like, "But I don't have any gas in my tank." So then you ask the person whose car is empty, "Well, what do you have in your tank? Can you fill the other person's car?" "No, my tank is also empty." You're all just fucked royally with empty tanks. Mm. So instead, if your tank is being filled and then you can fill someone else's tank, there's this reciprocal unending fillingness of everyone's tank. And that Mm. just makes sense to me. Mm. If you can't love yourself, how are you going to love somebody else? Yeah, like we all got too caught up in like giving away the grace of God for free that we forgot to reserve any for ourselves. And now we have to pay for it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I like the parable. I'm bringing us back to the wolves. I think like the longer I've spent with the parable, Josh, I I think I have a same, uh, like an equal inclination to say like, who told the wolf it was evil according to who, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. cause maybe it just manifests as evil and it's like embodying hatred and fear because it was abused you know it's like we call it that we call even those like emotions or those behaviors that because we we could go down the list and say like yes hatred in all these forms is bad right that's life hindering and i don't think any of the three of us would shy away from saying that as a generality like i'm not sure we could hold space for like well if your xenophobia is life-giving for you who am i that to take that away from you you know what i mean right right so like there are some things that you get to a point of like you can start speaking in generalities or universal universalities but again you know like i've never met a mean dog that doesn't have a story of being like neglected or abused as a pup you know uh like with bad breeders or like just a bad home right like they act out because that's the way they've learned to literally survive so like if i have a wolf that's manifesting those things inside me what from an early time what was neglected about that wolf inside me right that's what it makes me think of and i think that that holds some space for like yeah i experience myself as a self in the world one of the most irrefutable things about my life is that i have conscious experience and you can't negate that no matter how much you try to like convince me of it i can still stand here and be like no it's it's like something to be me though and you can't prove it otherwise to me and everyone else is like that right and if we can hold space for like they've been acting like an evil wolf for the last week or month or years yeah yeah maybe it's because like we're hurting right and maybe it's not because like this inherently like the embodied evil you know it's it's we're not possessed by demons or the devil doesn't like have us by the nose and is leading us through the dark streets that's what that makes me think of in in a similar way 
Because really the theme of this episode, the theme of this topic is like how we think about ourselves. How do you two think about the idea of like the inner child? Mm. Do you like it? Do you have questions about it? Sound a little silly? You know, it's hard for me to like have an intelligent take on this. So bear with me. The reason why it's like hard for me to feel like I can speak to it in a well-rounded way is because I don't know where this comes from. Like, I don't think it's Freudian psychology. Like, there's a lot of like Freudian psych that's like has to do with the dynamics between parents and child and like the way that your sexual nature plays out in your psychology and like all this symbolism. But even I don't I even think, think it's it's Carl Jung. Is it Jung that talks about the inner child? Well, because he talks about like the divine child. So like there's the archetypes. Oh. And I think like that would be kind of a that would, I think, be a close similarity to an inner child. Okay, so maybe it stems from there. But even then, I think it's really interesting how it's kind of become this mainstream concept, even if it like found its roots in like the fathers of psychology. It's kind of become like a mainstream concept for inner healing. And I'm not sure how to feel about it, if I'm honest. Like, I can appreciate some of the aspects of like, childhood wonder or um, acknowledging and healing from childhood trauma. That's very real for many people. But honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is the book, The Artist's Way. Have you guys ever heard of that or Mm, read it? mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys ever read it? I haven't yet. I had to read it for a psychology class. Okay. What did you think about it? Because do you you feel like she talked about the inner child a decent amount? Yeah, I think a fairly decent amount. I think there were good ideas that were brought to the surface but i still think that there's i don't want to say gray areas i think there are just areas that need to be maybe studied more or yes. just um maybe revamped as far as thinking because there are ideas that in especially when it comes to like the counseling side of it it can be very limited if like, let's say, for instance, um, a child was adopted or like mm. part of the foster care system. Mm-hmm. That dynamic is going to be different than a child who experienced trauma from like a biological family member. And I know Alex has shared that when he attempts different types of therapeutic approaches, that family background matters like Family size matters. Where are you in regards to birth order? How many Mm. brothers versus sisters do you have? And I just think that there's a lot that can still be explored when it comes to some of the approaches that are used, especially with like family dynamics and children. Yeah, 100 percent. Like, I feel like getting into something like family systems theory feels a lot more fleshed out than just like the blanket concept of an inner child. Yeah. Um, like, I actually feel like this is a great example of something that could be life giving. Like, somebody might find this concept really helpful to like unlock a kind of like childlike wonder and enjoyment about the world and existence. And some people probably really need that. Um, and others might find it just super cheesy and it like does nothing for them. And I think I might be in that camp. <laughs> um, but like, I don't want to rag on people who have like found that concept super helpful because I don't think there's anything like kind of like the wolf thing. <laughs> like I just really appreciate like uh, I, I appreciate a really nuanced take on the human experience. And I think a lot of people use the inner child thing as a very like streamlined linear. This explains everything about why I am the way that I am. Mm. And I just don't think that it's that simple for most things. Like maybe you can trace back something to your childhood, but even if you do like, that you have to figure out what to do from there. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether that's mm-hmm. a good or a bad thing, like either yeah. way. And there, there might be other things going on. Right. But the, you brought family systems up. That's kind of a therapeutic modality. That's been like picking up steam over the last number of years. And like that, that's another one where that kind of provides some language to like talk about yourself or to like experience yourself 
I mean, like even in the sentence, like the way I experience myself is kind of trippy if you think about it too hard. And so like family therapy or family systems, that modality would say that there are like a combination of different parts, right? Like, so as you're going through that system, it's kind of like, okay. And, uh, what is, what is the angry side? What does the angry you have to say about that? And you invite them forward basically. And like, let anger have a voice. Mm. And then the therapist could say like, and what do you think the more peace oriented side of you feels about that? And then you, you, you thank the anger for speaking and then you like have them trade places in the spotlight a little bit. And for me, that also, that provided a lot of language for me, even through like thinking, uh, uh, like through the lens of the Enneagram for me, like as a one, the, like the inner critic kind of like internal dialogue kind of thing that's going on in there. I was like, Oh yeah, there's a critical me. And then there's a lot more open handed me. That's helpful. That's cool. I feel like there are so many ways that we try to get at ourselves that we'll all kind of do it imperfectly, Mm. right? Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, IQ even. Mm. Like there are these different ways we try to measure ourselves or, you know, it's like compartmentalize ourselves in order to unlock ourselves. Did you ever get some of the theology being taught that being a Christian and like finding yourself in Jesus, quote unquote, is like the ultimate identity or like, like way to find yourself almost. Uh, I feel like the language I more often got was like, you have to lose yourself to find yourself kind of thing. Or like, Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. A lot of Paul language of like you yourself is put to death and now Christ mm-hmm. lives in you. And I think, that way of speaking of it is a very like kind of first first stage religion in my opinion now and i think if you teach that for too long in the same way it reinforces that idea of like there's nothing good in me the only good that exists in me is because of god otherwise i'm the wretch i'm the thing that deserves torment and like it really brings a an extremely like negative view of the self. It kind of invites that because you're you're being it's being reinforced to you that everything like you should die because that's everything that was bad and everything that was good was Jesus. I was taught growing up more about uh, maintaining or creating a relationship with Jesus rather than mm. like aligning yourself or like to lose yourself to Jesus. It, that was never really something that I was brought up on. Mm. But in a way, even the idea of having a relationship with Jesus can go very far because, and this happens not frequently, but it does happen oftentimes in couples therapy where you can lose a sense of self in the relationship where that is not healthy, (laughs) you know? And so like, I remember when I started premarital counseling, oftentimes I have the, the couple share their life story with me, you know, how they met things like that. And the idea of, you know, I found my missing piece or my other half that always broke me. And so I would always preface with, I hope you know that you are a whole person finding another whole person. Like there was nothing Hmm. There may be things that you discovered within yourself through the eyes of this person that you love and adore and now want to share a future with, but you were never incomplete. There may have just been some things hidden from your sight about you, but it's not like two broken halves becoming whole. And I say that because when oftentimes you find yourself in conflict or in very serious situations and you're broken, Two broken pieces don't always make a whole. If one person is struggling and the other person is struggling, that doesn't fix the problem. You have to work on yourself if you are to come together whole. And so if you enter a relationship saying there, you, you were the missing half to my heart, I feel so complete now with you. It's what are you mm. telling yourself then mm. if this relationship falls through that you're never going to find your other half? Like that was it? No. Like <laughs> uh, 
Two lefts don't make a right. That's not healthy. Two flat tires don't make a car go. <laughs> yeah, it's you have to be able to huh. recognize that you are whole and that other person is whole. And when you come together, you're a bigger whole. <laughs> We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. I've been puzzling on this for a while. I started therapy about two months ago. And it's wonderful. I don't know what Christians are so afraid of. I feel like I grew up being told that like anything that wasn't like biblical counseling was like going to lead me astray. I'm like, I don't once again, this is what we were afraid of. Anyway. It's because um, you don't air your dirty laundry. Oh yeah. You just gotta stuff it down deep and then no one will Let see God it. Let God work then on it. Yeah. One day you'll die with all your secrets. <laughs> um yeah, no, okay. So like in my work I mean, I love it because my therapist was ready to like, all right, you're ready to go like zero to 60. Let's let's get after it. And one of my assigned readings a number of weeks ago was the book Codependency No More or Codependent Mm. No More. So I've been doing some codependent work myself. So, Emily, when you you were bringing up like, oh, I feel only complete with you, you know, like we lose our sense of self inside of that. And that that can happen with romantic relationships or like parent child relationships, friendships particularly present when you, when someone is like dealing and living with uh like addiction um life hindering addiction like very often their partner ends up being codependent with that person right what do you think of the idea of codependency on god like the god worshiper relationship being codependent well it's funny that you just went this direction because as emily was talking I was reminded that like I've heard many Christians preach against the idea of the like you're completing each other, but like on the premise of only God completes you. Right. And like in the same way, I've also heard I've also heard Christians criticize things like the Enneagram or even Myers-Briggs, which I agree with you, Stephen, that like we're always going to have imperfect tools because we live in a fallen world. I mean, don't even get me started. But like. Uh, Preach it, brother. <laughs> but like, I've heard Christians criticize those on the premise of only can you find your true identity and destiny in God. And I think that those are following the same logic that I do think, and I'm not a clinician, but I do think we could label that codependency, mm-hmm. like a, a form of like religious codependent thinking, um, mm-hmm. which I do think is a very unique, I don't even know how we would name it, but like, Maybe like, for lack of a better term, I would maybe name the theology like broken self theology. I do think, like to get back to your wolf wolf example, I do think that it is hinging on the idea that we have a bad part of self, at least, if not Mm. all of our self is bad. And I think that like both, like the total depravity Calvinists and the like happy-go-lucky charismatic evangelicals, I think that they're both in this camp of like there's at least a part of you that is broken and bad and you have to have god complete that half huh Um, or or it's like the bad wolf inside you had a five-year head start and we just know it's gonna rip the head off of the good wolf because it's five years older because of original sin like 
That's started funny. Started with a leg up. It will always win that battle. <laughs> and what's like, I feel like what's interesting to me personally is like, I can agree with some of the conclusions. Like I completely agree with Emily on the, well, no, of course you don't like become a fuller human because you're partnered. Like mm. that's garbage. Yeah. Don't, don't think that. <laughs> and of course I think that there's good criticisms for both the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram like from a psychological perspective. Mm, yeah. And I think that alone makes it hard to combat and even like sometimes see where this like broken sense of self theology is playing out. Emily, I would be really curious to hear if you think this kind of theology that I'm labeling, mm-hmm. if you think that it's a either always bad or B, if you try to avoid it in your theology how do you do that if you do it at all those are great questions because like even even as i'm like kind of like listing out where i've seen it before i'm like struggling to think of times where people have purposely avoided it Mm, sure i'm thinking back to like my last sermon i think what i tried to emphasize more than anything is relationship and i think it comes down to Knowing that God, the divine, is present with us, is longing to be with us, and we are given this space to discover who we are, and no one else can tell us that. Like, I think there's, I think there can be truth in the idea of like God knows our true selves, and we Mm. are given this opportunity to discover that, but we may, like, here, I think on this temporal plane, we're never going to know if we've reached that or not. And I think that's the idea of like striving for perfection is striving for completeness. And we're a whole self. We're finding hidden gems within us and we get to share that. And God is taking joy in that. And there's still more that we can learn and discover and grow in. And God is a part of that. And it's not that God is dictating that or we're incomplete without god because clearly there are people who do not have a relationship or do not believe in god and they are whole people and they are great and they are thriving in the world and they share life-giving messages that are beautiful and promote well-being for humanity and i'm not going to say well you know god has a hand in that (laughs) like I'm not going to force that on them. I may believe that God has a hand in that, but I'm not going to force my own theology onto someone else and tell them that they should believe it. So I think it's just very tricky when my job is to share with the masses and it's to share what I believe as a perspective, not here's what I believe. You need to believe the exact same thing as me. So that's where it gets tricky. If you have clergy leaders or pastors who are trying to tell you that you're incomplete without God, this is the only way, I would push on that. I really would. I would encourage you to like sit down with them and to say, why? <laughs> like, tell me why. Tell yeah, me why. But I mean, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> and if it's, if it's them promoting their own theology... And trying to convert you. That's different than trying to engage in wholesome theological conversation about the topic at large. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I feel like we'd see a very similar identity formation around, like, who you listen to and follow. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course, like, Age of Internet, obvious example. But, like, I feel like I've seen that play out in so many, like, church circles, too. Mm. Yeah. Like, who you consider a good teacher and who you don't and all of that. I feel like maybe I got this more just based off of our conversation here. I think I got a decent amount of teachers throughout the years who would explicitly talk about identity and destiny. And like, I've noticed certain circles really love those words. (laughs) Oh, and I think that's really interesting because I think the Bible doesn't actually use those words a whole lot. Destiny. Where does Paul say like, like your identity is in Christ or like something like that. Like it's kind of like one verse that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe he says it a couple times in a chapter, but like, I feel like I heard so many people preach this to 
like not just youth. I feel like I did hear it a lot at like youth centered events, but I've also heard people preach it plenty of times to adults. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I almost wonder if we've had a tendency to have these kind of identity related ideas when it comes to faith more in a modern age than in like pre-industrial or like Mm. pre-global religion. Or it could just be like the certain flavors of American Christianity that I was raised in too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it, it, it also... You bringing up destiny kind of brought up the uh, like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven vibe of like, oh yeah, I have a future and a hope, you know, like, and I get to rest on. I feel like there's a lot of like language about like just rest on God's plan or like rest in your identity in Him or something like that. But I'm still curious to know from Emily what she thinks about this idea of like codependency on God. Oh yeah wrong categories or is there something to that because i think think some christians could make an argument from scripture if they wanted to to say like we call it codependency because we're trying to make something else fit in god's place in our hearts or in our lives or something like that sure it's not codependent because that's actually what is going to satisfy that like capital d desire right that like c.s lewis talks about like there Mm -hmm. must be a heaven because i long for it kind of thing yeah i am i just don't buy that anymore so i'm curious to know what you think is it life-giving you would answer the question with a question i'm serious is the idea (laughs) of being codependent on god life-giving is it life-giving to me or like exactly (laughs) that's where you immediately go okay yeah I mean, like in a way, like the concept to me feels life giving because it feels like it gives me space to be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can just have a bad day and it's not like God out to get me or God forgot to like keep the devil off of me like he did with Job or like it it comes back to being punished or something, you know, a child and a parent. Mm, Yeah. My child is dependent on me and there will be a day where that dependency grows less and less mm-hmm. even i'm I'm gonna be 30 okay and i still find myself like calling my mom and being like help me with this <laughs> <laughs> like you i don't think we really ever fully lose a sense of dependency with either a caregiver or a loved one mm. because to some capacity we're always like at, we are social creatures we depend on people. We weren't meant to be alone. We weren't meant to be isolated or to be singled out. Mm. We thrive when we are with people. We thrive when we are with others, especially those who care and tend to us and love us. If you believe God to be a loving, wholehearted being, thing, whatever you want to label it, that cares for you, I don't see a codependency on that being bad or life hindering because you're seeing something life giving from that relationship that God is caring for you as a parent cares for a child. And you may find as you get older that that dependency maybe lessens, Mm. but that that Mm. parent is still going to love you. You're going to be 50 one day. Your parent's going to be 70, 80, whatever. You may call less frequently. You may not rely on them the same way that you did when you were in elementary school, but there's always that love and that connection that stays the same. That doesn't change just because the dependency changes. So yeah, if it's life-giving, who am I to stomp on that? Like, get it? can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I agree with you. I do kind of see the argument of, like if God exists as the ultimate being, then fundamentally a relationship with that being would be unlike a relationship to a finite being. Like mm-hmm. terms are different. Terms and conditions apply are the ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I kind as much as I hate to admit that, that I agree with it because I think it's a weak argument, like logically, I think that it's sound <laughs> to say that like You can have like a dependent relationship on an ultimate being and that's different, even though it feels like a cop out to me. Um, 
so like i i think i agree with you on that that like that can be life-giving in your words and it like to me it brings to mind i should say i'm not an expert on codependency at all i think steven has read more than i have and emily you might have too honestly since you do some pastoral counseling but like to me it brings to mind how in alcoholics anonymous they will often talk about everyone has a different rock bottom Mm. like you are your own measure of alcoholism and some people's rock bottom might be going back to jail for the 20th time and they realize they almost died and other people might just wake up and realize oh i've been having a drink every single day and i don't need to do that Mm. so like everyone's rock bottom is different and Mm. to me it brings to mind i think that you can have a self-measure of dependency and some people's codependency for another person might be interdependency. Sure. Or or like going back to our example I was critiquing earlier, like some people might need that like inner childlike feeling of there being an ultimate parent and that being a healing experience for them and other people like need to leave that behind. So that's that's just my thought. That's like what you made me. It's all giving me Luke 10 again with the prodigal son and the the other son and the dad and yeah <laughs> is it giving prodigal son how well i think of how the younger son is like trying to be independent he's like i don't want to be dependent on you i just want my inheritance now let's pretend you're dead so i can have my money i just want to go live my life oh sure mm-hmm. out from under your shadow kind of thing and then maybe the older son is almost codependent in a way of like yeah whatever you say dad i'll be here with you i won't be like the one who left and then has to deal with his own bitterness when the father throws a party for the guy who comes back. And he's like, but uh, where was my party? I was here the whole time. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, what's funny is like, I feel like independence gets talked about a lot. And maybe it's just because like, I'm still technically a, a young adult. So it feels like it. It's independence day. Is that a yeah. song? It is. Yeah. For 4th Excellent. of July. We're Americans, man. Come on. Hell yeah. Josh clearly um, is not. I guess. Clearly I'm not. Coastal elites over there. God. But I, I feel like I've run into several people that I'm like, like you like to talk about independence, but like how, like how do you not see that like what you do affects other people or like mm-hmm. that, like other people are dependent on you in some ways. Yeah. And that's not codependency. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think we have an unfortunate tendency for some reason in our modern society to be very independent individuals. And while I think that that is good to like be a capable human and an adult and take care of yourself, I think that there is a huge lack of interdependency in Western society and interdependency is not codependency. And I don't know how we get back to it. I don't know. Preach it. I think a lot of people like have a vision of the church that like gets back to that in some ways. Oh yeah. Cause um, you get back to it by starting to use language of like, we are the body of Christ. Totally. We're all participating. Or there's like plenty of like leftist, secular, intentional communities nowadays that yeah. are like living off the land and like not religious in nature. But like, if you looked at them and like the only difference between them being a cult and not is, are they all the same religion? <laughs> <laughs> like they look really similar to like some of the communes of the seventies that were yeah. very religious. Right. Mm. Um, I think it's super fascinating. Like I think we clearly have a hunger for interdependency as social humans. And I feel like we all look for that in different ways. And some people it manifests as a codependency and in some people it manifests as a religious codependency. Mm. But then for other people, like to your point, Emily, I think other people don't struggle with that in their relationship with God. Mm hmm. That's good stuff right there. So you you didn't actually answer. You didn't answer. None of us, I guess, answered the question of the parable. Which wolf is winning like in your life currently? Ooh, Ooh I like that. Let's quickly, because I wrote this in my notes as we were going. What if we reframe good wolf, bad wolf to whole wolf, broken wolf? So which one are you feeding? Yeah. Yeah. Which one do you feed in that moment? I this I'm actually bringing this up today because I had a very conscious moment in the car today and I can see how the trends like every episode that I'm bringing up lately it's like I had an episode on patience a while ago and now I just I had a very bad morning today woke up with a migraine very annoyed with my dog while I was trying to like work from home in the morning 
and things were just like, I was so, I feel like I was so overly attached with self and like my expectations of what I wanted the day to be like, and because I was overly attached to that, I, I it just like drug me down. And I had a moment like driving to work this morning, I was in the car and I'm like, I don't, uh, <laughs> this sounds so melodramatic. <laughs> like 12 like 12 hours later but i had a moment of like name a circumstance in my life right now i could confidently say i don't want it like i don't care what you bring up i just i don't want it right now and i i kind of had like a there was an observer part of myself who was just kind of watching me throw a tantrum and was like is that true can you know that's true like is that your true self really and it was a really, I don't know, it, it was such a, uh, it was a moment of like, I was just like shoveling food into the broken wolf's bowl and was like, oh, hold on. I had another dog around here somewhere and just had a moment of like, I should call him over here too. It was such a wild kind of like self-observing self moment. So I don't know if I'm feeding one more than the other right now, but I... I can recognize how they both manifest today, mm. literally today. And I was like, whoa, what a, I don't know. I'm just like metacognating is so strange sometimes. That was my experience this morning as I was just dealing with like big, scary wolves with their hackles up and like terrifying barks in the dark. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, oh. There's more than just this, though. There's more. There's more to the picture. That's where the parable had me at today. That's why I wanted to talk about it with you guys. Mm. What about you, Josh? I can appreciate the the dichotomous either or example of like if you if you like chose yourself on a spectrum of like what you're thinking about right now, where are you? I think that can be a very valuable met- metric, and it like reminds me of the Christian classic question of what are you struggling with right now? And like, as much as that gets like cliched and overused and abused in some circumstances, unfortunately, I think it can be a very vulnerable question. And that's kind of the way that I'm like interpreting this wolf question. I think that if my two wolves are worry and confidence, I think that I've been feeding the worry wolf. Oh, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not even going to explain it. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm just gonna be honest and be like I think I've been feeding the worry wolf I do I do love that there's this like we accept there's two wolves we're not trying to add a third wolf or anything but what we can do is put different collars on the wolves that have different names <laughs> <laughs> now see that's very good I, I was gonna say there is more than two. <laughs> oh, Emily <laughs> We got I know, a whole litter the, of pups here. I yeah. do this at the very end, <laughs> yes. Um, oh, but what you're saying is family systems therapy. That's that. That's yes, what we're exactly. talking about. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Oh, sorry. I don't want to take the wind out of your sails. How, no, no, how no, do no. you answer, Pastor Emily? I'm feeding all of them simultaneously. It's dependent on... How are each wolf digesting it? And, oh, you know, because I, it's as a parent, I have learned that you can try to feed your kid what you want to feed it, and it may not like it. It may not take it. <laughs> it may want something else. Huh. And so I'm feeding all of them, and some of them may eat what I give them, and some of them are like, I've had enough. Thank you very much. And others may say, I'm dying of hunger. I want more. Please, please, please. And so it's, I'm kind of monitoring what the feeding situation is amongst all of them. Because each day is different. I like that. A balanced diet. A part of this delicious breakfast. Yeah. Recommended daily value. Very good. Speaking of, this is kind of unrelated, but I like it because it is another animal analogy. Somewhere along the way, maybe like, Oh, maybe like a year or two ago, we found this one girl in a TikTok video describing her anxiety as a goose that just honks at her and like her and her boyfriend. So like we've been using this like colloquially all the time now. Huh. Um, like her boyfriend will be like, are you just listening to the goose right now? Because the goose just honking at you. 
and as a way to like personify that like sense of self, like recognizing your metacognition for what it is. And I, I think that that's what I do like about the wolf thing is that like it is trying to get you to look at yourself, whether or not you like the dichotomy, whether or not the parable's too simple. Like it is trying to get you to look at you. And I do think that's very valuable. Mm. So good parable. That's good. Yeah. Shout out to the one you feed podcast that opens literally every interview they do with that parable asking every guest that the uh, obvious. Yeah. That's where I got it. Um, wow. This didn't even go the direction that I thought it could have gone. Should I say it that way? Classic well, rabble. You're welcome. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I had in mind that maybe we end up talking about afterlife and how like over identification oh. with self and is insisting that you remain a self is what hell is. And that like melting in to the everythingness is heaven or like, returning to the universe kind of thing i don't know that'll be a fun one for later we'll keep that in our back pocket shall we it would be a fun one beautiful wow wow once again kimberly thank you for fueling our beverages for this episode it's the wolf you feed and the wolf you give delightful bev so um emily do you have a word for the wolves today (laughs) for the wolves i like dances with dances with wolves the reference was right there. I do have, um, it's a quote actually from our good friend Carl Jung, wonderful school of thought. Cool. Where love rules, there is no will to power, and where power predominates, love is lacking. The one is the shadow of the other. 